oftentimes people think that Catholics really don't know Scripture very well. And unfortunately, that's too true in too many cases. As a cradle Catholic, I love the Word of God, and oftentimes people think I'm a convert because I'll quote Scripture chapter and verse occasionally. Well, the Reformers had an unintended consequence. When Luther and the different Reformers 500 years ago argued and fought, especially in the name of St. Paul, against the Church, many in the Church became afraid and tentative and cautious about Scripture, that reading the Bible might lead you to heresy, it might lead to schism or further fracturing the Church, as we ended up with one denomination after another multiplying, such that we have tens of thousands of different Protestant denominations today. So Catholics became wary of Scripture. Well, Vatican II tried to turn the corner on that. Vatican II urged Catholics to return to the Word of God and to Scripture. Well, if there's any place where Catholics are negligent about the Bible, Besides the Old Testament, it would be the Apostle Paul. So tonight we're going to talk about how Catholics can come to know and appreciate the Apostle Paul and understand him better. That's our discussion tonight. I mentioned that I'm a cradle Catholic and I, I love Scripture, I love studying the Bible, my life is dedicated to really promoting Scripture, and that's what we do here at the Augustine Institute. And I'm thrilled to have one of our faculty from the Augustine Institute who teaches at our graduate school, Dr. Jim Prothrow, who is a professor of Scripture, to join me. He's recently written a, a, a book on the Apostle Paul and his letters, and it's a wonderful introduction to Paul and his letters, and I think that this is a real gap for many Catholics. We know, we, we know the Gospels, we hear the Gospels preached on uh, every Sunday. We know some of the stories of the Old Testament. We know stories about Solomon and Abraham and David. But who is this figure, the Apostle Paul, who writes these heady letters that we hear about you know, in snippets? It's like reading somebody else's mail and just taking a paragraph out of somebody else's mailbox across the street and trying to read it and make sense of it. But that's what the church does. Every week, we get a little bit of the letters of Paul, oftentimes, and we just take a little paragraph, a little uh, snippet, and we read it. And it's awfully puzzling sometimes to understand what's being said and to whom it's being said and what it means. And I think, uh, Dr. Prothro, uh, a lot of people don't appreciate St. Paul. They don't really understand who he is and who he was. And especially the big issue for Catholics with Paul is justification and faith versus works and all that. So now you're, you're a convert and uh, you come to this as having been trained, you, you, you got your doctorate in Cambridge, you were a Protestant minister, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. grew up Lutheran and now you're a Catholic and teaching at the Augustine Institute. So what do you think about Catholics and Paul and your, your experience? That's a really big question. <laughs> um, uh, honestly, I'm still learning uh, 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 the, the, the longer that I stay here. And I've been in kind of privileged contexts, like I taught really briefly at a really, really solid seminary. Uh, I taught at Ave Maria University in Florida, and now I teach here. Uh, so I, I have kind of a different, you know, sample size uh, of Catholicism. But uh, I called a friend who's been teaching at a seminary for about 20 years, and I said, what do you think Catholics should know about St. Paul? And he said, literally anything. <laughs> he said, because they don't know anything, that's, right? That's kind of what he's right. His, the, the main emphasis is he said people know the story of his uh, of his conversion, right? On the Damascus Road. On the Damascus Road. That, it, 
the knowledge drops off pretty dramatically, doesn't it? That's right, that's right. But, but, uh, and he's teaching Catholic seminarians, right? That's right, and that's seminarians. So he said if, if seminarians are a good sample of Catholics who care uh, about their faith, he Catholics said most don't. of them don't, they, they would come into his classes and, and, and not have any, and not know of Paul or be nervous about Paul for yeah. some of the reasons you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I'll, I'll confess. I, when I went to my freshman year of college, I knew, I had read the Gospels, I had heard of the Gospels, I could probably name those, and I had read Acts of the Apostles, mm. but I couldn't name probably more than two or three of Paul's letters mm. uh, off the top of my head at that time. So I would say that my own experience is, by the time I'm now, you know, I started studying theology as a freshman in college, and that, you know, that got cured pretty quickly, mm. but I had a lot to overcome because I did not know much about Paul, and I think that's not untypical of many Catholics today. I, I expect so. That's what I, that's what I hear. Um, and also it's important to emphasize that, you know, when we do this sort of Protestant Catholic thing, right, mm -hmm. there's a lot of Protestants who, who, who can quote from Paul certain verses that they've been taught to them as, as really, really important, um, but don't necessarily know all of the letters with, with great fullness. So mm -hmm. we, we also need to be careful that we don't, uh, I think, that we don't say, uh, that we don't kind of over-stereotype uh, Catholics as not knowing them because we don't quote them very often, um, mm -hmm. because we might actually have about the same real knowledge. Some one person, and another person. In general, of course, some people know Protestants. them. Yeah, but do you, do you think that uh, Protestants tend to emphasize Paul far more than Catholics? So for Luther and for a lot of the Reformed tradition, Paul is where you begin, right? That's that's the, always the entryway, and it's always the ending point for most Protestant theology. Wouldn't it be fair to say that they they kind of elevate? Paul's letters, and in particularly Romans and Galatians, those two out of Paul's letters? Uh, in particular, yeah, so that so for Luther himself, right, the, the letter to the Romans and then Galatians as well were really important for what he thought was a rediscovery of the gospel um, uh, in understanding uh, uh, that salvation comes through faith alone and without necessary transformation. I mean, he would say that there is transformation, but that it's not actually part of your salvation. Right? And works. Luther yeah. thought that it was really, he thought part of his rediscovery of the gospel, the good news, is that we don't need works to be saved. It's just faith alone, right? That's, uh, that's right, yeah, faith, faith alone. And it, it's, it's, it's worth pointing out, right, that uh, uh, because other people will point it out to you, that mm -hmm. a, a lot of people in the Catholic tradition have used the phrase faith alone uh, before Luther. Right? Lots, of, lots of saints and church fathers have. But here's what they mean, right? What they mean is that we're brought into saving relationship with God and Jesus Christ by faith, right, and baptism without deserving it already by our works. Mm -hmm. They don't mean, when they say it, that you don't do works after that to stay in communion with God and to live out the life that God is transforming you to be. And if you go through Paul's letters, you see that a lot of what he's trying to do is, in fact, tell people what God has transformed them to be and that they need to be doing good works now that they've been justified and they need to live together in love now that they've been brought into friendship with God by mm -hmm. faith and through the grace of God in baptism. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Paul's, Paul actually matches up with all those other people. And Luther started to say something that sounded like it and then kind of uh, 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 cut off the other end. Took a turn. Say. Let's, I want to continue that conversation about w what Luther did and, and how we understand this faith and works, because I think a lot of Catholics get asked by their Protestant friends and others, mm. you know, do you have to do good works to be saved? And Catholics kind of get uh, stymied a bit with this kind of language about faith and works. I want to I explore that, but first 
I want to invite our audience to, if you have questions about the Apostle Paul, faith and works, justification, Protestant Catholic approach to, to Scripture, we'd love you to join the conversation. So give us your questions, text us on our text line, and you can put your name down and your question, and just text us at 720-650-0100, and we'd love for you to join our conversation, so please feel free to do that. Well, Jim, let's, let's talk a little bit more about what, did, what was Luther trying to, what, would, what did he think was the new discovery, mm -hmm. as you put it, uh, when it came to faith and works? And let's just talk about what Luther thought he was doing and why he, he thought that was right. And then where do Protestants rest with that today? Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about the Catholic response to that. Uh, sure. So, um, so one of the really important things to remember about uh, Luther is that his, I mean, like all of us, right, his theology is very much sort of set in his biography, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so uh, Martin Luther um, uh, has this kind of gospel discovery, he calls it, by reading the Epistle to the Romans uh, in, most people would put it about 1519. And um, what he feels like he discovers is that he doesn't have to earn God's love. And he's struggling now, with scrupulosity and trying to be good enough as an Augustinian monk he wanted to, he thought he had to be perfect and earn God's love. That's, That's right. Kind of he wasn't well catechized. Right? We can say that very definitely, right? In the church and in Germany. And that was not, he wasn't alone at that time. There was a, there was a, yeah. a bit of a, a challenge in catechesis at that time uh, in that's, Germany. Yeah, that's right. In, in Germany and in lots of places, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the, the people weren't doing a good job of teaching well. Um, and one of the things that was ending, what, that was happening, certainly in Luther's own, uh, psychology, right, was uh, the struggle to find, as he puts it, a gracious God, right? Mm. Um, he wants to find a God who loves him and wants to save him because he feels like, before this discovery, he had to spend his whole life trying to m make God want to save him, mm. right? When he looked at the cross, he didn't see the self-emptying love of God, mm. right? Uh, he saw, right, a, a, a God who was really angry that you had killed him, Right, your sin killed me. I'm upset, and so like you know, get get back on it. That's a sort of a simple way to put it. And he hadn't read much of the New Testament right, at this point. Right, he had had been a monk. He knew the Psalms very well. When they appointed him to a professor of scripture positions, the first thing he lectures on is the Psalms because he knows them. That's right. But then he ends up having to move on, and then he teaches on Romans. He teaches on Romans once, and then after that, he's rereading Romans, going through all of these struggles, and he sees this. What, what, what he feels is this great, and it should be, right, a great liberating message, right, of the love of God, and that God saves us, right, that he justifies us, right, through faith, right, which Paul says mm -hmm. frequently um, yep. and emphatically. He's really serious about it. But for Luther, right, when Luther read Paul's words, when Paul would say, by faith and not works like circumcision, Luther said, that's right, it's just my believing and not any works at all, even if I love my neighbor. Even if right? it's good works. Even good works, right. So he, he lumps all activity, all doing under works to say that they don't have anything to do with your salvation. It's just you, your faith and the grace of your baptism. Do you think Luther was influenced by being Augustinian monk, by Augustine's, uh, you know, who preceded him by a long while, Augustine's debate with um, Pelagius. He certainly is. thought that we could earn our way to heaven. And Augustine's arguing that it's about grace. Mm -hmm. And so I, mm -hmm. does that color Luther's reading of Paul? Absolutely it does. Um, so, I mean, l when Luther comes to those passages where Paul talks about faith as opposed to works, 
Uh, he's definitely informed by St. Augustine, and St. Augustine's response to, as you said, Pilatus, who said, you know, it's, it's all in our power to do it. We just need to kind of get new information. If God can teach us the right way to live, then we can do it, and we don't really need grace. We and just Augustine need to follow said, good examples. Right, and right. And, and Augustine said, no, you need God's grace to transform you. Mm -hmm. Luther keeps the same emphasis, but he redefines grace. So instead of grace being something, right, being the Holy Spirit in you to transform you into love, Luther says grace is just God's favor, right, that God is, is kind toward you, right, mm -hmm. and, and kindly disposed toward you. Um, and so he doesn't bring all of Augustine with him. And even at the end, uh, uh, farther toward the end of his life, you can see Luther say this in volume 54 of Luther's works. If you go to the library, they're big red things. <laughs> Um, right, and he's he's chatting at the table, and people are recording every his every word. Right, it's an ancient Twitter account. Right, <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right, right. everything everything that he says. Right, they're writing down like it's gold, and, and some of it, you know, even uh, Lutheran would say is like uh, it's, it's not. Don't listen to it. Um, but there's a point where he says he says I used to at least like Augustine, but since I've discovered the gospel, I can't think well of any doctor of the church, especially Augustine. Right? Wow. Uh, and he, and those those are his words. Right. So he's he he he. Uh, he's influenced by that conversation, mm -hmm. uh, but he's not following any church father at any mm -hmm. point, right? Mm -hmm. He's just, he's, he's working from kind of the impulse that he's seen mm -hmm. uh, in, in uh, that, that he thinks he's seen in Romans and Galatians. Well, one of the questions is going to be relating to faith and works, and Lynn mm -hmm. asks, you know, it sounds like the Apostle Paul contradicts James in mm -hmm. the letter of James, because James talks about we need faith and works, mm -hmm. and Paul talks about faith. So do James and Paul really contradict each other? Is that true? Yeah, so it sounds like they do, right? Um, now, there's a couple of important things to note. Um, uh, number one, right, is that James and, says... You know, go ahead. you've written about Paul, and your name is James. So I just want to... That's right. Well, this I'll, is an, a, a potential pitfall for you, an inherent contradiction. No, it's, it's fine. I also just sent off a book about justification in, in Paul, and then also talking with different theologians. So I, I, this is all very fresh in my mind, and it's part of my biography as a Lutheran who's now Catholic who reads Paul and is named James. Uh, so <laughs> go, go figure, right? Uh, God, God had a providence... Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, a, a couple of things to note. So mm -hmm. number one is that uh, James, uh, in James 2.24 says, a person isn't justified by faith alone because you can see how their works perfect their faith, right? Or work together with their faith. Paul never says faith alone, right? And, and Luther does add that to, in his, one of his translations, on his translation of Romans, right? He has the that's word right. alone. Yeah, in Romans 3, 28, that's yeah. right. Uh, he did add the word alone, alina, uh, in German, um, to his translation. Um, uh, Bible translation is always a really important ground for fighting for the hearts and minds of the people and their theology. Um, mm -hmm. But so, uh, uh, so Paul never says alone, right? What Paul says right, is uh, that a person is justified by faith and not works of the law, and he seems in these contexts always to be talking about especially things that are dividing Jews and Gentiles, right? Things that are specific to the law of Moses, right? A Gentile can believe that you shouldn't murder somebody mm -hmm. and not, like, be confused with somebody who's, like, taking up the Jewish law. So Circumcision. Be, yeah, so things that made yeah. Jews different than Gentiles. That's right. Being circumcised or kosher, kosher laws. foods. Yeah. Animal sacrifice. Those would be the works of the law that Paul's alluding to. Uh, that's right. Those are the ones that he's really focusing on in, in Galatians and Romans. Um, Paul spends a lot of time telling people to do good works, and he also tells people that if they uh, don't, right, uh, then they won't inherit the kingdom of God, right? 
so he and James are both, both on a similar footing there. One of the things that, that's important to notice is that they, they don't use the word faith the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So just compare this, right? Mm -hmm. James 2.19, when James is saying, look, you got to have faith and works, otherwise, right, faith without works is dead, right? It's useless. It doesn't do anything. The demons believe. Demons have faith. Right, but right? they're in hell. But they're in hell, right? Now, now, okay, now, let's go back to, Ro to any verse, right, in Romans or Galatians, right? Let's go back to Romans 1.17, right? And St. Paul says, right, in the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Is he including demons? Of course he's no. not including demons, right? right? When James is doing the faith versus works thing, right, faith versus active love and obedience, right, James makes faith really small and just in the head so that a demon, demon can have it, right? This is another word, right, for faith. But another definition for the word faith, right, is like mm. loyalty. Yeah. And that's the kind of faith that Paul is talking about, right? Mm. Like Abraham, right? So demons can't have a faith that is faithful, that's right. loyal. It's not as as as, as richer Aquinas, sense of faith. That's right. As Aquinas would say, Thomas Aquinas uh, would say, right, it's not perfected by love, right? It's mm -hmm. just faith in the mind, right? And James is trying to get people to see it from that angle because James is dealing with people who are going, oh, I got faith. I don't have to do anything. So do you Forget think it. But Paul is dealing with people who are trying to do more works to be scrupulous because they think they can't get saved if they're not circumcised, mm. right? And Paul's like, no, that's not the point. The point isn't be circumcised. The point is faith working through love, mm -hmm. as he says in Galatians 5, verse 6. And so, uh, so Paul and James aren't contradicting That's each other. That's a beautiful line. They I, talk they, a I'm glad you brought up Galatians 5, verse 6, that, that it's faith working through love. And so if Paul was absolutely right. against this idea of faith alone, apart from any good work, he wouldn't say, he wouldn't write what he does in Galatians 5, verse 6. Right. That, that's exactly right. Right. Faith working through love. That's the saving faith that he's talking about. Not just head faith. Mm -hmm. Not just, I remember my creed, mm -hmm. but I don't love my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just, you know, I, I joined membership in the church one day and I have enough faith because I kind of talk about God sometimes. And that's Paul seems to about. address that when he's writing to the Corinthians in a different context where he says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have faith to move mountains but have not love, I am Nothing. That seems like no. Paul's on the same page as James there. And, and in a way, even stronger, right? Because mm. James says, faith without works, the faith is dead. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Mm. Right? He doesn't even say my faith doesn't count. He says, I'm nothing at all. Wow. Right? Wow. Uh, which I think is, is, is in that way even stronger than James. I love this conversation. I'm trying to get Catholics to focus on Paul. And so Tracy mm. asks, how is Paul an apostle if he didn't know Jesus? Oh yeah, this is this is this is a key question. Yeah. Um, so in in the book of Acts, right, this is a a, a really important thing because uh, the apostles, right, to be one of the twelve apostles, uh, you've got to have followed Jesus during his life, right, from mm -hmm. the baptism of John to his resurrection. You have to be a witness to the resurrection physically, right? Uh, and Paul doesn't fit that description. Right. Uh, so in the book of Acts, Paul's not actually, uh, Paul's so Paul, not very often called so an apostle. Paul never met Jesus during Jesus' earthly life. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yes, yep. that's right. So Paul uh, uh, isn't a follower of Jesus until that experience that a lot of people know on the Damascus Road. Long after Easter, he's been persecuting mm -hmm. Christians because he thinks they're blaspheming God. Mm -hmm. But then Jesus shows himself to him exalted mm -hmm. in heaven. So he has a vision of Jesus. And then after that, right, 
he goes to different places and people go, are you on the level? Didn't you used to be persecuting us? Have you really, yeah. right? But everybody yeah. says, no, he's really seen the Lord. Jesus gave him a special appearance. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says that, uh, he gives the list of Jesus appearing to the 12 apostles uh, right. uh, and then to others. And then he says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, yeah. right? Like I, like, like I wasn't at the right time, yep. right? Just but missed. he appeared, yeah, I just missed it. Misery. But he appeared to me, right? And so I'm the least of the apostles, but I am an apostle because Jesus chose me, showed himself to me, and said, you're an apostle. And all of the, other, and all of the 12 approve him. Yeah. Right? They give him, yeah. as he says in Galatians 2, the right hand of fellowship. You, and you do, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, amazingly enough, even though this is the case, uh, in the tradition for the first thousand years of the church, when, when, any, when any of the church right. fathers talk about the apostle, yeah, like St. Thomas they, Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas does it, right? St. John Chrysostom does it. When people talk about the apostle, they mean Paul, not right. anybody else. Right? Yeah, it's really astonishing. Yeah. Well, you know, Melissa asks, if I want to read Paul, where should I start? And you do a good job mm -hmm. in your book, starting off with, before you get to Paul's letters, you need to understand Acts of the Apostles. Is that, mm. is that where you would tell Melissa to start? I, you know, when I teach uh, classes on Paul, that's normally where I start. I usually start with the Acts of the Apostles because it gives you an overview of, of himself and his life and some of the issues that he's dealing with, mm -hmm. not all of them, um, and then to go to the letters. Um, and it depends on, uh, 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 on you and maybe what you're, what you're facing, but my uh, favorite letters to start with, I think, would be Philippians mm -hmm. and Ephesians. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're not terribly long. It's not as long and as complicated as getting into something like 2 Corinthians or uh, Romans. And also... Uh, I always like suggesting Philemon. Well, I... Get, get, then you're like, that's one page. Right? That's, that's a short letter. Yeah, Philemon is great because it's one so, page. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> so, right. That's right. You know, uh, anybody can do that. That's right. You could do that tonight. <laughs> yeah, you could read Philemon tonight. Uh, there's not a lot of great one-liners that like, people use in devotion a lot from Philemon, so, although it's such an important book uh, for so many reasons. But, um, but yeah, I, I, if I were going to just start from somewhere, I'd say read Philippians uh, and read Ephesians, uh, because he really draws you into, uh, Philippians draws you into his own ministry uh, and the way in which Christ has transformed his own life and he wants to transform the lives of others. And then Ephesians just takes you through the sweep of everything. You know, my end. only criticism of your book is that your outline of the letter to Philemon was a little bit short. <laughs> but I just want to... probably as long as Philemon. <laughs> I, I want to highlight for people that in Dr. Prothero's book on the Apostle Paul and his letters, he gives a beautiful outline of each letter of following the line of Paul's thought. And I think the hardest thing when you're first reading Paul is he uses lots of metaphors and images, and he's moving constantly, and you're like, I lost his line of thought. Where, where, where are we at? And like he's, in Corinthians, he's talking about them as a temple, and the next thing, it's a field, and you're, you're kind of lost. And I think it's a great roadmap for people mm. to read Paul's letters with your outline and to be able to look at the outline, read Paul's letter, look at the outline. I think it's a great guide for people. So I really hope that uh, people take, take and read your book and make use of it. And we have it on... Catholic.market. So I just want to mention okay. that for people. People are like, well, where do I get that book? What was the title? It's The Apostle Paul and His Letters by Jim Proth James Prothro. Uh, the, the form, I, I always call you Jim, but it's the, the, uh, the author is James. Yeah. And uh, when you do a popular book, are you going to say Jim? I, I don't, I don't no. know. I, okay. I, yeah, there's a, N.T. Wright and Tom Wright slash can do that. I don't think I should do that. Right. Some people do that. So um, Lisa asks, is your book for students or is it for the average person? Is this, for, is this aimed at graduate students at the Augustine Institute, or can 
anybody take and read? So it's primarily for uh, people in college undergraduate or uh, graduate, and the people who've written on the back very kindly have, have, have said that I hit the mark, right, that it was good mm -hmm. for both of those audiences. You, it, it can be read by anybody else, um, mm -hmm. certainly. It's, it's not, uh, um, uh, it's, uh, it, is, it is pitched for people who are in kind of study mode, who are gonna read this book and then read Paul's letters uh, and go back and forth. But uh, as I'm told, at least, it's very clear and it's not complicated or overly wordy. Or yeah, I, I encourage people, if you're up for a challenge, uh, I, think, I, I think the great thing about Dr. Prothro is he writes with great lucidity, that is, clarity. And uh, I found this book very easy to read, very clear. Now, that you, you will talk about what scholars think about the dating of this letter, and it could be dated here, here's the reasons it could be dated here. And so you're gonna get into some of those academic questions, but you do it in a way that's very introductory. And I think uh, people who like challenging reading um, can, can take this on. So it depends on how brave you are and, and what you like to read. But I, I really think that that uh, uh, is good. Now, Tammy asks, you know, would Protestants enjoy your book? You know, I'd love to share this with a Protestant friend. What do you think? Uh, so far, yes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not, uh, 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 everything that's, well, it's just about Paul. So I think, uh, so pe people, people seem to like, Protestants seem to like it. I've got a couple of them on the back. And I think as a, as a former Protestant, you're very respectful of the Protestant positions. Hmm. And I think you're very clear in how you handle it. And so there's no Protestant bashing so that some Protestant takes this and says, oh my gosh, hmm. I think they'll find somebody who's very thoughtful and has reflected deeply on the Apostle Paul and on the scholarship about Paul and is reflecting some great insights. So I, I think I think I would give it to a Protestant friend. Thanks. I have so uh, <laughs> good and family. I think I think that's one of the that's we can we can get really nervous about that. But um, uh, one of the I think one of the problems in reading Paul is that we always move, we we jump to the apologetic questions that we already know are there. Mm. So we're always kind of looking for something to be wrong with the text mm -hmm. so we can fix it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and actually what I hope this book is able to do is to take anybody from wherever they are to just sit down and listen to him. Um, uh, and even when we're talking about like when this letter was written or whatever, um, uh, I hope that they listen to Paul and that through Paul we can hear the Lord who inspired him to write. Paul's an intriguing person. At the beginning of the book you have a couple of different chapters talking about his background mm -hmm. to understand him and I think that's really helpful. Uh, talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things about his identity in the first century that you kind of give historical background that helps people understand and appreciate the person, Paul, and his spiritual writing. No, absolutely. Um, so, uh, trying to think of which one to hit on given time. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Jewish, Roman, I mean, the yeah, fact he's a Roman he's, citizen and he's a Jewish rabbi, I mean, yeah, these are interesting he, things. He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of everything. I mean, he says in 1 Corinthians 9 that he wants to do his apostolate in order to be everything to all people. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look at his own background, you can see that he's pretty well set up to be that way. Mm -hmm. So he's raised as a, uh, a, a, a conservative Jew, right? I'm a Pharisee and I'm a son of Pharisees, right, he says. Um, uh, he's raised as a, a, as a Jew who's very serious about keeping the law, but he doesn't live in Jerusalem. He lives in Asia Minor, right? Yeah. Like, like modern Turkey. Modern, modern Turkey, for yeah. Example, yeah. Um, uh, Tarsus, right, Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. So that's where he's raised. So he gets strict Jewish upbringing, right? He ends up going and getting uh, taught by a rabbi in Jerusalem as well. So he's got, 
he, he knows his faith really well, but he's also able to practice it in foreign lands, right? So he's kind of multicultural he's, is how we would put that today. Yeah. He, he has a Jewish culture, but he also has a, a Hellenistic That's right. But yeah, he, he grows up speaking Greek, right? Mm -hmm. If not his language in his home, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly mm -hmm. his language everywhere else, right? So he's quite skilled at writing in Greek to everybody. And this is a beautiful providence uh, that the Greek language had spread to become a common mm -hmm. language throughout the whole empire. So Paul can write to people in Rome yeah. and it's actually a correct decision for him to write the letter in Greek instead of in Latin, mm -hmm. which is just amazing, right? And he can do the same thing if he wanted to write to Egypt. Um, uh, so he's, he's, his, his language is really good. He seems familiar with different types of philosophy that are in the air. Um, yeah, he's also to stoic philosophy and other things. That's right. He can he can talk the talk with with mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. um, he's also a Roman citizen, as you mentioned, which mm -hmm. isn't like you know I was I was I happened to be born here, so they gave me a social security card and said pay your taxes, right? Uh, Roman citizenship uh, is a is a privilege that not a lot of people had, yeah. uh, and if you didn't have it, it was really expensive to buy it, and you had to know the right people, and also it came with uh, lots of uh, both duties to the state, but then also a lot of privileges. So you can see in the book of Acts, Paul will use his Roman citizenship uh, for the sake of the gospel when he's sort of stuck in one prison, and he says, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen. Get me out of this prison. I appeal to Caesar. Take me to Rome. I'll go mm -hmm. preach the gospel in Rome. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the figure of Paul, it, it's interesting to reflect on the question of why God chose Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. And he has such a fascinating, deep background, um, you know, that gives him all kinds of skills and competencies, but he also has a complexity within his own person that God wants to bless and use for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Mm -hmm through the love of Christ. Thanks to all of you who support us in the Mission Circle. That monthly giving society, just giving $10 or more a month, makes a big impact on us. And we're really grateful for all of you who support us faithfully every month. With that little bit of giving, it makes a big difference. Thank you, and may the Lord bless and keep you all. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.